Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. I'm going to tell you the family is an essential building block to a successful society. Without strong families, you cannot have a strong society. And without strong families, you cannot have a successful church. And in the same way that you can't have strong uh, society and a strong church without strong families, you cannot have a strong family without a strong, masculine, godly influence. It's to this topic of masculinity that I get to turn our attention. As rulers go, Hanun was the new kid on the block. His father had just passed away. He was king of the Ammonites, and David sent a condolence committee, a group of guys to show kindness unto Hanun to say, I'm so sorry for your loss. And in 2 Samuel chapter number 10, we see that David's men were not greeted with such kindness. In fact, David's men were humiliated. David's men were made fun of. David's men were emasculated because this new king Hanun ordered half of every man's beard shaved off and their garments cut off to their bottoms and they were sent away. That was the thanks that they got. And in 2 Samuel chapter number 10, we see where David says, hey guys, just just hang out at Jerusalem until your beards grow back. But in this waiting time, a battle starts to take shape. And in verse 11, we capture a glimpse at what Joab, David's right-hand man, says to this pre-battle speech. Verse 11, and he said, Joab, if the Syrians be too strong for me, then thou shalt help me. But if the children of Amnon be too strong for thee, then I will come and help thee. Let me pause and say that it is at the heart of masculinity to help your brother. It is at the heart of masculinity when your brother is in trouble and your brother is being attacked for you to come alongside and for you to fight next to your brother. It's at the heart of masculinity when you see someone in trouble for you to stop your car and for you to get out and you to help, whether it's change a tire or get them unstuck out of the snow or put gasoline in their vehicle. It is at the heart of masculinity to help. And so we see in verse 12, Joab says, be of good courage and let us play the men for our people. And for the cities of our God and the Lord do that which seemeth good. Gentlemen, sometimes you just got to be a man. 
Sometimes you just have to do what needs to be done and you've just got to go and say, look, I I don't really want to do this, but I've got to do it. This is my masculine. You just got to do it. That's what Joab is saying. He's saying, play the man, play the man. And in the same way that Joab and the men of Israel are facing an attack in scripture, masculinity today is facing an onslaught from society. Hollywood has made fun of masculinity and fashion has emasculated, uh, uh, has emasculated masculinity and culture has said, don't be a man. And the enemy of our souls has worked to distract us from what it means to actually be a man. Society offers three categories of what it means to be a man. There's the brute. That's the individual who's so strong they can deadlift the entire gym, the athlete, as it were. They are so manly because they bench press a thousand pounds. Society also offers us the exact opposite of that, the effeminate. And the effeminate is not found in brute, but found in lust. The effeminate is a product of a society geared for lust, but then there's also a third category that society offers men today. The slothful or the idolatrously entertained. I stand before you today, the men of Calvary Tabernacle, to say that none of these things will work for revival. None of these things will work for strong families. None of these things will work for strong communities. So I stand to offer biblical masculinity to the men of Calvary Tabernacle. I stand to say that sometimes we've just got to do what needs to be done as men in our Christian walk. Doug Wilson defines masculinity as the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. The glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. That means when you don't feel like going to work, you get up and you play the man. That means that when you would rather sleep in on a Saturday than wake up and take your kids downstairs and put them on the couch and read scripture, you get up and you play the man. That means when it would rather be your, when you would rather it be your preference to be alone in your workshop and in your man shed, the, 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 the young man doesn't understand the difference between channel locks and a set of sockets. It means that the sacrificial Responsibility says that you take that young man into the shed and you teach them the difference between channel locks and socket sets. It means that you spend Brother Healy time with them. It means that you take them and I get it. I got two boys. I remember trying to teach them how to tie a fish hook. Corbett can out tie fish hooks around me all day long now. But when, when I'm trying to teach those eight year old fingers and they don't have the dexterity and they're trying to tie a fish hook, dad, can you come get my fish off? Hey, dad. Hey, dad. Hey, dad. What? I just wanted to sit down for five minutes. 
What do you need? I'll tell you what he needs. He needs you to step up and he needs you to play the man. Your daughter needs you to step up and she needs you to play the man. Your wife needs you to step up and she needs you to play the man. Your mother, your father, your aunt, your uncle, your brothers, your sisters, they need you to step up and play the man. Christian masculinity can happen at at any age, and it looks like seeking opportunities to serve the king in his kingdom. I offer you Jesus Christ as the ultimate picture of the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility. Three times we see in scripture that Jesus went and prayed for an hour and came back and was like, I I don't don't really want to, I don't want to do this. Three times his crew His friends are just snoozing. But three times he gets down and he prays it again and again and again. The text is clear. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I'm telling you that he would have never made it to the cross if he had not played the man. He would have never made it through the cat of nine tails if he would not have played the man. He would have never made it to the point of the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility if he hadn't played the man for you and played the man for me. Joab offers us two reasons why we play the man for our families and for our communities. I remind you that the family is an essential building block of society. Our families require both the mothering, nurturing and the masculine strength. It requires both of them in order to form the person for the next generation. And in the Old Testament, we see where God ordains a family and then ordains a nation. And in the New Testament, we see the exact parallel of that, where we see God ordaining a family and it's in the family's home that the church is built. It's in the mother and the father's home where the revival actually takes place. It's not perfect families but it's men and women who are committed to playing the man and playing the woman for Christ. We are men for our families. We are strong for our families. We sacrifice for our families. We are godly for our families. We pray and we fast for our families. On August 3rd, 1992, tragedy struck the Olympics in Barcelona, Spain. This race remains one of the most memorable stories in Olympic history. Derek Redmond had his sights set on a medal. He had qualified with the fastest time in his heat, and he charged out of the blocks, and about the 250-meter mark, tragedy struck. What happened, as Derek recalls, is that he heard a loud series of pops behind him as his hamstring muscles ruptured from the force that he had put on it. Three strides later, he's collapsed on the Olympic track with the world watching. And what he, when he looks up, he sees racers crossing the finish line at what should have been his point. 
at what should have been his time, at what was his promise, but he stands up through what I can only imagine as pain, humiliation, and defeat, and he starts hobbling toward the finish line. And a man named Jim, who's sitting on the bystanders, gets out of his seats, and he charged down to the Olympic track. He risks being thrown out of the Olympics. He risks being arrested and tackled, but what we didn't know is that Jim is Derek's father, and he was not going to sit idly by as Derek hobbled through the race, and he ran up beside Derek, and they finished the course together. Can I tell you that Jim Redman risked what he did because he was family? He didn't, show, he didn't wash his hands and say, well, guess what? He made the decision to be in the Olympics, so he's just, he made his bet. He's going to have to lie in it. No, no, no. Jim Redman played the man for his family. He raced down to the arena of life, and he said, I know that you made some decisions that caused you to rupture some muscles, but I'm here with you, son. I'm here with you, son. Together, you and I are going to make this. God grant the men of Calvary Tabernacle the ability to come alongside me and women who have ruptured their muscles and who have found themselves in a place of hurt and destitution and help us, God, to carry them across the finish line. Jesus, in your name. But Joab also says that we've got to play the men for our communities, for our cities. It's, it's not by accident, Pastor Carson, that at the end of this month, we finish the family focus month by looking outside. It's not by accident that we finish a series of Sunday nights by saying we're going to reach into our communities because men, we play the man. We gladly assume sacrifice for our communities. When you can't seem to find the strength to push away the meal, you do it for your family. You do it for your community. When you can't find the strength to be here on a Wednesday night, you understand that because so-and-so is going to be here, because your friend is going to be here, because the people that read the Bible with you, they're going to be alongside you. So how, how do we play the man for our community? I'm going to tell you it looks extreme. It looks very extreme. Taylor will call him. I read this story about what it, it just encapsulates what it is to play the man. Taylor was an incredible member of his church. In fact, he was the men's ministry director. He had the ability to rally men to the example of Jesus fulfilling their destinies in this world. His laugh was infectious. His hug was just bone crushing and he could out-eat anybody in the state. But as is sometimes the case, Taylor got hurt. And Taylor decided, I don't think I want to be a part of a church that causes hurt like that. And Taylor missed a service, and another, and another, and some of his friends noticed Taylor's absence, and they thought, well, he'll, he sometimes, you know, he, he gets a little that way. He can come back. But two men in the church decided I'm not really satisfied with that. I don't want to end up in five years saying, hey, do you remember, do you remember Taylor? Whatever happened to Taylor? He was, he was so much fun to be around. Well, I, wonder what's, I wonder what he's doing now. So these two men rallied the rest of the guys in the church, and they decided to play the man for their community. 
150 of them, Brother Stoner, set up camp in Taylor's front yard. Brother Hawk, it looked like men's retreat up in there. Barbecue pit, which by the way, tonight's the last night to sign up for men's retreat. So out there or on the church center app, make sure you do that. Barbecue pits, coolers full of drinks, cornhole. I mean, they had everything that they needed. Waiting on Taylor to come out. But Taylor never came out. Three days went by and it became apparent that Taylor did not want them camping on his front yard. If, you, if Taylor was anything like me, all he was thinking about was, oh, they're killing the grass. Uh, it's wet outside. Guys, quit walking on the grass. You're killing all my, I'm going to have brown spots, dirt spots. It, eh, golly. So Taylor calls the police. Hey, I've got some trespassers out on the front yard. Two police officers exit the vehicle and walk up to what appears to be the lead of this uh, camp out series. Brother, how they're coming after you. And he, he says, uh, I've, I've got a report of some trespassers. This looks like more than trespassing. The men explained what was going on and the officer said, say no more. I'll take care of it. They get in their car and they drive back off. A few hours later, two different officers pull onto the driveway. Two different officers get out. Two different officers walk up past the tents, past the barbecue pits, past the court. Hey, good shot. And they knock on the door. Sir, are you in there? Sir, sir, we've received a report that you might be hurt in there. Sir, are there any weapons? Sir, you have to come to the door or we're going to kick it down. Taylor opens the door and Upon opening the door, the entire yard goes up because they're just so excited to see Taylor. Ah, the crowd's going wild just because they got to see Taylor. And Taylor closes the door. The officers, satisfied that no one is hurt, get back in the car and drive off. The next day, two more officers come up. Sir, sir, are you in there? Sir, we've received reports that you might be hurt inside. Are you there, sir? And for three additional days, there are two officers at two different times coming to Taylor's house to say, sir, are you in there? Sir, we've received reports that you might be hurt. Sir, you need to open the door. And two, day, two times a day, an entire yard of church men erupt in their Christian masculine love, playing the man for a person who has been hurt in their community. And on the sixth day, the door opens. Taylor's got tears running down his face. And for six days, men cheered every time they saw Taylor. And on that sixth day, they all gathered around Taylor and they said, we love you, man. You can't keep doing this. We've got to determine to get through this together. We've got to determine to play the man together. We've got to determine that it doesn't matter what happens. We play the man for our community. And I'm going to tell you that not all stories end up as beautifully as this one. Sometimes there are ghosted texts and sometimes there are unreceived phone calls and there are reach outs left unread. But what happens when we play the man and nothing comes of it? Joab tells us, the Lord do that which seemeth good. We trust. We trust. 
when we reach out to the tailors and we reach out to the moms and the dads and the sons and the daughters, we trust that God will make up and do the work. We do what we can, but we trust that God will do what only he can do. We step out in faith and we set up camp in people's yard and we do, we're persistent and we don't let them get away without them knowing that we love them. But when all else fails, we trust in God. When all else fails, we trust in God. I wonder if we could stand all over this place. I have a very specific ending how I feel God has impressed us to end because fathers, we've got to play the man. Sons, we've got to play the man. Corbett, you've got to be the man, dude. Wyatt, you've got to be the man. Because there are people watching every single man in this place, wondering how on earth we are going to handle the adversity that is thrown at us while Hollywood is making fun of us. They want to know what's going to happen from us. While fashion is trying to take away our masculinity, they want to know what are the Christians going to do? I'm here to say we've got to play the man. So young people, this is probably where it's going to get a little chaotic for a minute, but I don't want to lose the spirit. I would like every family member to huddle up. Every family member, moms, dads, get together. Go ahead and move quick. Every family member, huddle up. If you don't have a family, adopt somebody. Adopt somebody because it's impossible to have revival with weak families. And I believe that God wants more than anything else to pour out his spirit in this last day. I believe more than anything else that on October 30 and 31, when we're at the Calvary Christian School uh, uh, property, that God wants to pour out his spirit on all flesh that's there. But what, I, what we need to do today is declare, I will play the man. What we need to do is declare that I will be the nurturing mother that I need to be. What we need to do is before God and before our families, we need to set up shop in the yard of God and say, we're not going anywhere because we need you, God. So I wonder if all over this place, if we could begin to pray, plead the blood over your families. Plead the blood over your children. Plead the blood over your, your neighborhood. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.